0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts.
1: Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It is, of course, the second best day of the week. That's Thursday. Um, so we're kind of getting this uh, day underway. Now, we are also moving into really rapidly into the last you know few days of October here. So again, as uh, Halloween approaches, right, we're gonna get this month behind us. We get into the month of November, December, seasonally a little bit better in terms of markets. Now, uh, importantly also, markets tend to trade better after the midterm elections. Now, we have two things coming up here very quickly. The first thing is, of course, Halloween, it's a fun holiday. Right after that, we have the Fed has their um, annual, their uh, November FOMC meeting in uh, on November 2nd and 3rd of November. So that's where we're gonna get our next kind of glimpse at what monetary policy is gonna look like. You know, are they remaining aggressive? Are they starting to back off the pedal a bit? There's no sign of that whatsoever, by the way. Uh, looks like they're gonna hike, you know, the, the consensus is, A 75 basis point rate hike, still a focus on inflation, not much else uh, to to really look for a change there. Odds for a 75 basis point rate hike in December is now about 80 or 90 percent. So that rate is still going up also. Now, get that behind us the next week, the following Tuesday, November the 8th, we've got the midterm elections. Get that behind us. Then we kind of get to smooth out here for the last, you know, two months of the year. Now, technically, markets tend to trade a little bit better following midterm elections, and the best outcome for the election would be a gridlock situation. In other words, Republicans take back the House, the Senate, or both, and then you have a uh, Democratic president, and basically nobody gets anything done. Right? It's just, it's just everything stops. Markets like that because, well, you don't get. Some crazy spending bill or change to tax rates or something like that. I mean, pretty much once you have gridlock, markets can figure out pretty quick, like, okay, not gonna be any change for at least the next two years. So now as a business, I can, you know, invest, I can do what I wanna do, I can, and uh, Wall Street can do IPOs, whatever it is, um, and factor in all those potential policy impacts that might have affected the outcome of some of those investments that now won't be there. So markets tend to trade a little bit more favorably when you have a gridlock situation politically. So that's going to be the one thing really kind of looking at historically once we get past that midterm election. If it does turn out to be a gridlock situation, stocks may start to trade a bit better here. Now, the other side of this of course is that we're still working through an earnings downturn now uh, again we're seeing a a good bit of earnings beach right now not surprising analysts had been cutting uh, earnings expectations since june cut them pretty sharply uh, going into this uh, third quarter reporting period so again, we're getting a lot of companies coming in. Again, the usual, as we talked about yesterday, it's a millennial earnings season. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody beats. So we're seeing a lot of companies coming in, beating estimates. Netflix was a good example of this. Better subscriber growth. But look, and we've talked about this before, and, and, and this is very important, is to look below the surface of those earnings reports, right? Uh, you know, The headlines are great. Now, the headlines are driven by all kinds of accounting gimmicks. It's uh, you know stock buybacks. We're reducing number of shares outstanding, etc. So there's a lot of accounting gimmicks that go into beating that EPS number that you hear on television, right? Uh, BlackRock reports a in earnings versus 99 cents, whatever it is. You know that is is a very manipulated number. Um, Wall Street Journal a few years back did a study of corporate CFOs and found out that about 40% of the EPS report is all fudging. So it's it's cookie jarring, reserves, it's doing all kinds of different stuff to try to make those earnings look better. Always pay attention to the revenue growth. That's one thing you really can't fudge very much. How much did you sell? That's, that's really the top line. So when you take a look at sales of companies, that tells you a much better story about what's really going on with the health of the company. Netflix, a good example of this, revenue growth continues to decline fairly sharply for the company, despite the fact that they're getting you know 2.4 million subscribers, right? So we're getting more subscribers. That's great. But our revenue growth continues to go down. That's the thing you want to pay attention to, more so than just about anything else. But again. Not surprising here, stocks are so beaten up on a lot of different fronts that, you know, stocks are reporting earnings, seeing nice little pops out of the stocks, that's actually kind of good news for right now. Uh, Markets continue to trade here very cautiously over the last couple of days. We talked about the fact that the market, you know, had rallied here and gotten back above the 20-day moving average, came back down, retested that yesterday futures are pointing up a little bit this morning we need to we need to right now we need to bounce off this 20-day moving average confirm that support if this rally is going to have some legs here that's going to be the real question if can we get a bit of a rally going here uh, we've had a fairly big decline uh, since really that that August peak markets have rallied a bit off the lows but again not really getting a lot of oomph to it at this point so it's been a fairly uh, a fairly meek rally. Um, at this point, money flows are turning a bit positive here, but again, not to any, any real strong degree. The good news, though, is, is that the MACD has turned up, as well as some of our other indicators as well, suggesting there's a bit of a buying push here. And as long as earnings continue to come in uh, you know, well, over the next week or so, should help give some support to asset prices. But again, if you really take a look at this, you know, uh, you're kind of at the market, it's really just been in a consolidation range ever really ever since the beginning of October. Uh, since the beginning of October, we really haven't gone anywhere for the market. It's just been up and down and volatile and really kind of weighing on investors again, just that real, it's just that mental grind uh, that we have. So so again, it's, it's, this is one of those real challenging periods is the market gonna base here? We continue to really hold these, uh, these lows support going all the way back to June. You know, those June lows can continue to kind of hold in here at this point, but again, not really giving us a whole bunch to work with. So again, when we continue to kind of build you know, long-term support for the markets, the markets really haven't been able to do much with it. So, so again, I, I know this is, you know, it's very challenging. It's mentally exhausting. We've had so many negative days this year. It just seems like every day you get up, it's just another down day in the market. And it's just not fun, right? You know, 2021, every day was up. So it was always fun, right? You go to work, you come home, look at your portfolio, it's up and it's great. Um, This this year has definitely been a different year. We'll get through this is the important thing. And and we've just kind of got to grind our way through this and try to be in a a position to take advantage of it when, when we do get through this. But we've probably still got a few more months uh, of challenges uh, for the market as, as we go forward here so just to kind of you know keep that in, in mind um, what we're going to talk about today a little bit is talking about the federal reserve they, they've got a very interesting situation coming up the treasury is running out of liquidity i wrote an article about this Uh, be coming out on the website here shortly but talking about the liquidity risk to the treasury and uh, and the fact that basically the treasury needs to issue debt we talked before about how quantitative easing works in regards to taking bonds out of the market well the problem is the treasury now needs to issue debt to to meet fiscal spending uh, needs but nobody wants to buy them and uh, this is becoming a liquidity problem for the treasury it's not just a problem for the Treasury, it's also a problem for the Fed. So when we come back from the break, we'll spend a few minutes kind of really talking about that and and talking about the risk. You know, we we talk often about the, the one risk, right? What's the one risk that gets the Fed focused back on the financial markets versus inflation? And that's a financial instability event. The Treasury could very well be that event. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special Ladies' Edition Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next Ladies' Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday the October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso real
0: the real investment show
1: and welcome back to the show this morning so Usually Michael Lievich joins me on Thursdays uh, to spin the yarn about whatever's going on with the Fed, but uh, yeah, we had to get rid of him. I'm just I'm I'm joking. Just these we having technical difficulties this morning, and so we weren't able to potty men from his secret lair where everybody knows he is. So it's the most unsecret secret lair ever. So. exactly Uh, so anyway um, but we will talk a little bit about the fed so just for the break just talking about the the fed's next crisis which is already brewing and this is you know something that you know is problematic and but different right so in in 2008 as an example right there was a crisis event And this financial instability arose from a freezing up of the credit market. And and again, you go back to look at, if you go back and look at a chart of 2008, it was a fairly orderly decline in the markets. Now, again, what we remember about 2008 is just this, you know, this terrible plunge in asset prices and, You know, this crisis moment, people were losing their houses. We remember all the crisis moments of 2008. But what we don't remember is that leading up to that point was this fairly orderly decline in the markets. And it was very much like the year we're having now, which, you know, it's just this grind lower, not fun, but, you know, it wasn't the end of the world type thing. And then, of course, subprime was contained, and so we didn't need to worry about subprime contained. And then as Hurricane Ike makes landfall, it's funny because my my son recently, he's in in college, and he's working on uh, a paper for his English class, and he, he, why are you nodding your head? You don't know this story. I haven't told you this story. I'm just
2: a being agreeable.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm prompting you you nod alone. your head like, yeah. you're like, yep, yep, I know all about this. <laughs>
2: it's like you're sitting in church with a sermon, and he says something. Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right. You so, want me to throw just, in an amen or two? Yeah, go ahead. How are you there but, as well? So anyway, my son uh, emailed me uh, the other day, and he says, hey, Dad, I need you to write about an event that you had to deal with that changed your views about something. And so I thought about it because I had a lot of events to work with, right? The, the collapse of Enron, the, the crash of 87, the, you know, the, the invasion of Iraq, 9-11. I mean, you know, there's so many events that, that have happened, you know, the, the uh, Challenger disaster. Um, you know, so we've, we've had so many big events that change views and change aspects and things about things you know, I had to really take some time to think about what it was that was going on in 2008 that was, you know, kind of defining to that. And what was interesting is, is you know, we had sold our house, and, and my kids were very small at this time. My my son, you know, my son now in college was, you know, six years old at the time. And, you know, we had sold our house, and this is, you know, we'd sold our house in, in March, April. Of, no, sorry, we sold our house in, in July. Sorry, it was July of 2008, and we had an extended close because the guy needed to sell his house, and we were waiting on him. So our closing was set up for September the the uh, 21st of 2008, and and so we sold our house. We had moved out. We were living in an apartment because we're getting. So now this is September. And we had moved into an apartment on the 1st of September, getting ready to close on the house. And we're in the apartment, and it's September the 18th, and Hurricane Ike is making landfall into Houston. right? And so here it is, just, you know, we're in the middle of a hurricane, and power's going out everywhere, and, and you know, we're dealing with the hurricane situation. And, you know, I'm, I'm working from, from the apartment, you know, posting our newsletter for, you know, the next day it's going to go out. And so I'm writing about the the markets and hurricane and this type of thing. I had no idea that when I woke up the next morning on Saturday, there would be this notice that Lehman Brothers had been forced into bankruptcy. And there was a scramble afoot at that point for trying to find somebody to buy out Lehman Brothers and get them to come in and basically do a Bear Stearns situation. So remember back in March of 2008, Bear Stearns had collapsed under the weight of of these mortgages. And J.P. Morgan bought them out at $2 a share. And then, so here we are now. It's Saturday and, you know, can't do anything. And the world literally comes to a standstill. And by Monday, banks are failing. Things are shut down the the trading between counterparties has ceased right nobody tried here's the and here's what caused it wasn't just the bankruptcy of Lehman right that wasn't the real problem the problem was is that nobody trusted anybody else to do business with each other and to and to trade right so there the credit market which is the lifeblood of the economy literally just froze up There was no what we call counterparty trading. Nobody wanted to trade with anybody because nobody wanted to get stuck with anything else that anybody had and and couldn't get rid of it. So everything just stopped. And that was the moment that the markets just came unglued. And if you take a look at a chart of 2008, what you'll see is this literal vertical drop in asset prices over the next week. And, of course, that was where the the Fed realized at this point that subprime was not contained, that the economy was in a recession, even though it hadn't been announced yet, and that they needed to do something. And so there was a very quick scrambling of meetings. Congress met, started putting together the temporary asset relief program, $800 billion to bail out stuff. And Federal Reserve started talking about first round of quantitative easing. And so there it all began. But this was all precedented uh, or predicated on, I should say, a, 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 fin- a level of financial instability, a credit crisis. Nobody wanted anything to do with anything. Now, this is not 2008, where we are today. It's different. And, you know, every every situation, every environment that we're in is always different. There's, there's never, this time is never like last time. It's always different. The outcomes, though, are can, can be and are often the same. My son said I got an A-plus on my report, by the way. I still got it. Yeah. 53 years old. Uh, 53, I wish. 58 years old, and I can still write an A-paper
2: A, A for college. So. Well, how old were you when you wrote it, though?
1: Like last week? Oh, it was last week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I,
2: I checked out for a minute. <laughs>
1: Apparently. How old was I wrote it? I was still 58 when I wrote it. <laughs> it was last week. Still got it. But a, anyway, a week later. Still got it. Still got it. A week later. Um, but yeah, So so... But this time is definitely different. And... But there are some things that are occurring now that... Are reminiscent, or I shouldn't say reminiscent, but could create another type of event where there is a breakdown in the credit market. And this is always the one thing. Look, stocks aren't that important to the Fed. What is important to the Fed is credit. The credit market, just to put it into, you know, some terms. You know, if you take a look at the debt, just the federal debt market, treasury debt market, right? That's $27 trillion of debt. The total size of the economy right now is about $20 trillion, just to put it into terms. The total debt in the economy is north of $70 trillion. So that's treasury debt, that's corporate debt, student loan debt, you name it, right? It's over $70 trillion. Add into all of that margin debt, everything else, you're now talking about, as of the last read, uh, last print that I've got from the government, ninety-three trillion eight hundred twenty-seven dollar, uh, ninety-three trillion eight hundred thirty-seven billion dollars 93837000000000 dollars In debt in a $20 trillion economy. So there's a $70 trillion delta between the size of the economy and the amount of debt. So so again, debt is far more important to the operation of the economy than the stock market is. So it's always important to focus on what's there. Because if there's going to be financial instability, it's going to happen... In the credit market. And it's going to be a problem that has to be fixed. This is why back in March of 2020, when we shut down the economy, the Fed started buying junk bonds. Because all these companies are on the verge of bankruptcy, even though we're told they're financially healthy all the time, right? All these companies are financially healthy, right? We've got to bail them out. Carnival Cruise, Lines, uh, Boeing, all these companies, right, need to bail them out. PPP programs, of which... 47 billion dollars of that got scammed by foreign foreigners so (laughs) not sure why we even did it um but that's where it's going to going to show up and right now there's a a crisis that is brewing in the debt market and this is a problem that has a has a a lot of of potential to balloon into a much bigger problem because it's in the one area of the debt market that is the most critical to the functioning and operation of the economy. We'll talk about what that is when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
0: Investment advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. So talking about the next, you know, kind of credit-related issue that's potentially coming down the pipe is... A loss of liquidity in the Treasury market. It was interesting because Janet Yellen just recently talked about this. She says, we're worried about a loss of adequate liquidity in the bond market, the Treasury market. And and what what she means is, is that in a market, you've got to have buyers and sellers. And if you don't have buyers or you don't have sellers, you don't have liquidity. In other words, if there's no sellers and there's... Nothing, you know, and there's, and there's buyers there, the market doesn't function, right? Because there's no transaction occurring. The same way if you've got, you know, if you've got a lot of buyers but no sellers, again, nothing's happening, right? So there's no liquidity. You, there's, there's, you, you can't execute a transaction. And so what's happening right now is, is the Treasury's in a position because we spend too much money. Right now, if you take a look at the government budget— we spend 100 cents of the do- of every dollar in tax revenue that we have coming in about 100 cents of that goes to just paying social security medicare medicaid prescription drug benefits um the affordable care act and 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 which those are all the welfare programs and the interest on the debt which by the way the interest on the debt is going up sharply because of the rise in rates which means that as interest rates go up The government has to print more debt. Since 100 cents of all the tax revenue is just going to that, anything else that the government wants to spend has to come out of debt. So the government's got to continually issue more debt. That's why we're over $31 now. But that's why we've got to continually issue debt just to meet the spending obligations of the country. You know, you hear this a lot, too, when it comes up time for a budget, and we we haven't had a budget since 2008 but you hear this all the time is like well we've got to issue this debt we've got to pass this budget because it's on last year's spending we just need to we got to pay for what we've already agreed to pay to oh yeah plus 8% because we up up that by 8% every year so do the math 8% a year 12 years you've doubled your spending right so this is this is this is the trap that we're in so the treasury's got to continually issue debt now we talked about this a little bit before but but prior to 2008 the treasury would issue debt to the banks the banks would the, the major there's 20 primary dealers that buy the treasury so when you hear about these bond auctions the treasury says okay we're having a bond auction we're going to issue off, you know auction off you know 5 trillion dollars worth of or 5 billion dollars worth of of whatever bond right so whatever it is so they're going to issue off this debt that they need for spending so they're 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 selling a certain structure of debt maybe it's a bill or you know it's a it may be short-term bills it might be 10-year treasury notes might be 30-year bond auctions whatever it is but whatever these these bond auctions are these 20 primary dealers show up and say you know i'll 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 bid on that right and then that's how the yield is set for it and that's what moves prices up and down now, prior to 2008, these primary dealers would buy the bonds and then sell them off to pension funds, head funds, mom and pop, you know, whoever. Well, after 2008, the banks were gifted an a artificial buyer, which was the Federal Reserve. And so the Federal Reserve was basically buying the bonds from the banks. So the, the Treasury can't issue debt directly to the Fed. They have to sell it through their mechanism. So they have to sell it to the banks. The banks then turn around and sell it to the Fed. What's missing today, right? That all worked great for the last 12 years. The problem is today is the Fed's not buying any debt. In fact, the Fed's trying to get rid of their debt. And so the banks are going, why am I going to buy debt from the Treasury when I don't have a seller to sell it to? Or sorry, a buyer to sell it to, right? There's no marginal buyer, which was the Federal Reserve. So now, all of a sudden, the Treasury's going, I got to issue debt because I got spending to pay for And I've got no buyers. And this is why rates are moving up. Rates are having to move up to try to find these buyers. And the problem is, is there's becoming a lack of liquidity because the buyers are going, hey, i you know, buying this debt's fine, but I need somebody to sell it to. And the problem is, is the banks don't have any customers that want them either. So nobody wants the treasury debt. And so this is creating a liquidity problem. And again, the risk is, and, and, and this is the, the potential problem for the markets is that if all of a sudden you get a seizing of the credit market, this is the real problem for the Federal Reserve. And this is the thing where the Federal Reserve has to make a decision. Do I let the credit market seize up or do I reverse course on my quantitative tightening and start buying bonds again? Just like we saw the Bank of England do just recently trying to bail out the pension funds in England, right, in the U.K. The Bank of England had to make that decision, right? Pension funds are on the verge of margin calls and getting, and getting you know, liquidated out, which they couldn't afford that to happen because of all the pensionees that are on their system. This is a problem when you're socialistic you got too much dependency on government which has been a problem for the uk for the last several hundred years going all the way back to the south sea corporation if you don't if you don't understand the south sea bubble i would suggest reading a book called devil takes the hindmost and read about what happened with england and how the south sea bubble occurred as the South Sea Bubble Corporation started issuing, basically taking over government debt and issuing out annuities, right? It was a monetary scheme that was destined to fail from day one, and it did. Blew up spectacularly. But so as you you look at what's going on with the Treasury Department here, that next crisis potentially is the Fed coming to market, uh, sorry, the Treasury coming to market and saying, hey, I've got to issue some debt, and everybody just says, "Nope, don't want it. The Fed's not going to have a choice. And this is, and this is that risk. And, 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 and again, while the Fed is reducing that balance sheet, or trying to anyway, that's removing that marginal buyer from the markets. As Bloomberg stated, there was a a really good article on this. Uh, Robert Burgess uh, wrote an article for Bloomberg recently. The word crisis is not hyperbole. hyperbole. Now, every time I hear that word now, I can't not think of Joe Biden because every time he makes a statement, he's like, that's not hyperbole. I'm not kidding around. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what he says, I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbole. At least it doesn't call it hyperbole. Exactly. Hyperbole. The word crisis is not (laughs) hyperbole. Liquidity is quickly evaporating. Volatility is soaring. Once unthinkable, even demand at the government's debt auctions is becoming a concern. Conditions are so worrisome that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen took the unusual step recently of expressing concern about the potential breakdown in trading saying that after a speech in Washington that her department is worried about a loss of adequate liquidity. in the $23.7 trillion market for U.S. government securities, make no mistake, if the Treasury market seizes up, the global economy and financial system will have much bigger problems than elevated inflation. And that's exactly correct. And this, of course, is all coming at a time to where, at, you know, at a, a very problematic time because the Fed has to, in, in their mind, focus on this inflation fight. The problem is, is that inflation fight is actually over. They just don't know it yet. And unfortunately, they've already hiked rates to the point that they're going to break something, which is only going to compound the Treasury problem when the economy gets into a much deeper state of a recession. You know, the Fed at their recent meeting uh, just uh, about a week or so ago, they released the FOMC minutes from the last meeting. And and what was noted in those minutes is that several participants noted, particularly in the current highly uncertain global and economic financial environment, it would be important to calibrate the pace of further policy tightening with the aim of mitigating the risk of significant adverse effects on the economic outlook. So they're aware of the risk. And I am absolutely certain that Janet Yellen has been on the phone with Jerome Powell. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. We've got a meeting coming up November the 2nd with the FOMC. Will they, will they make a further statement addressing the potential risk to economic growth? But the more aggressively they hike rates, the, the, the more of a liquidity problem it creates... ...within the Treasury market. You know, unfortunately, history is kind of riddled with monetary and policy mistakes uh, by the Federal Reserve as they've over-tightened. Now, as the markets are rebelling against quantitative tightening, the Fed will eventually have to acquiesce at some point to the basically the selling deluge of what's happening and the lack of buyers. The destruction of the wealth effect that threatens both the equity and the credit markets is going to be the problem that the Fed is going to have to deal with. The only question is when. And unfortunately, it'll be after the fact and after after it's too late, after the crisis has already developed. And I thought it was interesting that just this morning, Democrats are now starting to come around to the idea that they spent too much money and the Federal Reserve didn't start hiking rates soon enough. Imagine that. What we said two years ago now becoming a reality. All right, quick break, come back, wrap up the show. Don't go away.
0: You can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's
2: go girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies edition lunch and learn what women need from social security Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your social security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies lunch and learn what women need from social security Thursday, October 20th at Noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. Real Science Roberts. RealScienceRoberts. Um, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's where you'll find all of our latest articles, comments, commentary, videos, visor. Find it all there for you. Um, so, yeah, so don't forget today um, at noon is our Lunch and Learn. Uh, Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso uh, doing their best to determine what women actually want when it comes to Social Security. Um you know, it's, it's always kind of an interesting situation Do you, you know, when do you take Social Security? How do you take it? Do you, you know, a lot of people are very afraid that Social Security is going to run out of money. And so they want to take it as soon as possible. Right. But you wind up leaving a lot of money on the table. So um, but when it comes to spousal benefits, you know, when do you declare those? How do you do that? So they're going to go into all those nitty gritty details today. Um, so that's at noon. It's a um, online it's a Zoom. It's a Zoom event. So just go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a banner right at the top of the page. To get registered, we'll send you a link and uh, grab you a sandwich and come hang out with Danny and Richard, talk and shop. It's always fun. They're, they're really good presenters too. They, they, make it, they take a very boring subject to make it entertaining, which is, that's a talent, <laughs> trust me. It is a talent. Finance is boring enough, right? So that definitely doesn't have the flair of politics. Politics gets your blood boiling. And so that's why everybody likes to listen to political talk shows. But finance is just <laughs> snoozer.
2: They've got your number. Yeah,
1: snoozer. Um, so as we get ready to go into, you know, today's trading action, markets are pointing up here a little bit this morning, kind of a flat opening. Again, markets very tenuous here right now. Nobody's really willing to commit to this market one way or the other. Um. You know, there's, I think there's a reasonable possibility that, you know, markets can trade here a little bit better over the next couple of weeks. Um, really, just from a couple of standpoints, one, we just had a lot of selling, right? And just, you know, selling abates eventually. And you get these kind of counter trend rallies in the markets. Second thing is, is that we talked about, is that the stock buyback window is starting to, that blackout period for stock buybacks is closing, so very soon now, in the next uh, seven, eight days, uh, corporations will be able to start buying back stock. So that'll help provide a little bit of a bid to the market. Um, they buy back their shares and obviously to make their earnings look better. And so going into fourth quarter earnings report, they need to get, you know, these share counts down a bit to, to help boost those those bottom line earnings per shares numbers. Um the head of U.S. cash trading at J.P. Morgan said, feels like sell-side strategists who got this market move right uh, all just took tips chips off the table, causing an epic post-CPI squeeze uh, from the trading desk. Our macro view here is unchanged. Nothing good going on out there. And long-term, we are likely heading lower, but our trading view has changed a bit. And I, and, and I agree with this analysis uh, because I, th- I think it's right on. He says, where we firmly have firmly been in sell the rally mode, we think into year end, you can now buy the dip. Um, Seasonality now on your side. Retail flows seem to have stabilized and every hedge fund and mutual fund is positioned defensively. And again, when you have everybody kind of on one side of the boat, that's what creates those those kind of spurts of buying activity. There's most certainly seems to be more activity uh, on moves higher than moves lower, which suggests to me that nets only come up into weakness to protect year end relative performance. Now, this is something we talked about before, is that going into year end, all these mutual funds, hedge funds, pension funds, everybody that provides these reports, A, they're holding a lot of cash, but B, they've got to have the assets on their books and and they've got to get that cash invested so they can bill on it. So, so, again, there's going to kind of be a push here over the next couple of months, theoretically. Again, everything's a theory when you're trying to predict the future. But theoretically, there should be a push towards getting equities put back on books into year-end. Does that mean it has to happen? No. But theoretically, again, we're all trying to predict the future. Um, that's what is, you know, there's a possibility. And I would say, the, you know, it's more of a probability that something like that could happen. J.P. Morgan goes on to state that we tend to think that the 35, 3600 level holds for the remainder of the year and 3,800, and, you know, we've been talking about 3,800, 3,900, uh, you know, 4,000 over the last few days. That remains where you sell. And I think that's right. Going into next year, we're about three months into a earnings recession those tend to last about eight to 16 months on average so once we get over the next three four five months that earnings recession is going to get a lot deeper because again estimates are going to to get ratcheted down we've already ratcheted down estimates to, to get you know quarter three earnings beats in the door We're going to have to ratchet those down more to get quarter four earnings beats in the door. Right. So again, you know, we, we lower those estimates, we lower those earnings analysis so that companies can come in and say, Ooh, I beat it. Right. But you have to go kind of go back and go, well, what did, you know, BlackRock, IBM, whatever. I thought it was interesting this morning. There's a headline on, on CNBC, the IBM turnaround story. They beat earnings. IBM has been sucking wind for the last 20 years (laughs) on getting their, their business turned around, and they haven't been able to do it. They, cur- they constantly have currency problems, all kinds of things. But you take a look at earnings. Yes, the earnings were better, but where did the earnings come from? How far did those estimates fall? These are the things you want to ask. You know, Before you take things at face value, great. Netflix beat earnings. Great. What were earnings estimates before they were lowered by the analyst for them to beat them? And so let's say that, and what I mean by that is, is let's say that at the beginning of the quarter, and I I said Netflix, but just ABC Company, whatever. So at the beginning of the quarter, ABC Company had an estimate that they were going to earn a dollar a share for quarter three. By the end of quarter three, the estimate is is they're going to earn 75 cents. And they come in and they beat the estimate and they earn 77 cents. Everybody's all happy. Yay, they beat the estimates. But they're still 23 cents lower than what the estimate was to begin with. So, is that really a beat? See, this is what I'm saying is like you've got to kind of look at the quality of these earnings so as they come in and say, where's the business heading to? Is it growing earnings or are earnings declining? Is there a one off issue with earnings, right? Semiconductors, computers have a one off issue. They had a bunch of pull forward in demand on PCs because of the of the checks to households and everybody starting to work from home. So you've got a natural reversion process going through the system right now. Those stocks have been have have been overly have overly compensated for that reversion in demand, which will stabilize and start to improve over the next couple of years. So a lot of these companies are trading at pretty cheap valuations relative to their growth rates historically. But you've got this one off effect of this of this drag forward of command uh, of demand caused by the economic shutdown and all those checks to households. But that'll go away. That'll work. It's like a a pig in a python, right? You just got to wait. You got to just wait for the pig to get through the python. And then you're back to kind of a normal growth rate. It's going to take a little time to get there, but you'll get there. So again, you know, these are the things you want to think about as we kind of go through earnings season. And, and you know, we're just really getting into the heart of this. By October the 28th, we'll have 70% of the, of the S&P 500 will have reported. So we're going to have a pretty good handle by the end of the month. And again, that's just next week. By next Friday, we're going to have a really good handle on just how well companies are doing. And again, today, you've just got a, a, just a plethora of companies reporting, and it's just going to be a full-court press here over the next you know two weeks of all these companies bringing, bringing earnings forth. And so again, once we get through this, then we can do some earnings analysis, determining how well we did versus what expectations were. And then, kind of, what to expect over the next quarter? But again, those earn, that earnings recession is going to get weaker as we move into next year, and because and as we talked about before, all these Fed rate hikes have not impacted the economy yet. So the economy is going to slow down more because of these rate hikes. That's what rate hikes do. They don't operate in a vacuum. So, you know, as rate hikes impact the market, the economy will slow down. As the economy slows down, that's a, a slowing of demand, which means earnings come down as well, profit margins. So that's all still coming. So we got, we've got a, a good bit work more to do. Um, Ronald Adler said that uh, getting more questions from traders this morning You know, if Netflix trades up today after their earnings report, you know, what's going to happen with Meta or Snap? Snapchat. The story in Netflix is much cleaner than the other two, but positioning is dictating a lot on the moves and the tape and the under, underweights and shorts are undoubtedly driving action in the markets. I think it's safe to say that an inline print for Snap or Meta would be constructive – But those companies have a lot to explain and prove to investors. And this is a problem is that, you know, user growth in some of these areas are really starting to slow down. And this has always been the problem with these social media companies is that they're all fine and dandy until a new bright, shiny toy comes along and everybody goes, "Ah, I'm tired of Facebook. I'm gonna go do TikTok now or be real or whatever it is. And we're seeing that start to occur we're starting to see that migration occur and the question is, is can the companies get control and get their growth back on track that's going to be the real question all right wrap up the show for today. we'll be back tomorrow morning richard uh, Russo, danny ratliff uh make sure you get by the website today and sign up for this afternoon's lunch and learn on what women want from social security Uh, That'll be at noon today on Zoom. So sign up for the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send your questions, comments, read our blogs, posts, newsletters, more. It's all there for you. realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.